Oh, I am Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And this is the Valley of Grace podcast, helping women reclaim their power, soul, and identity so they will know they are enough. And today's topic is the masquerade party of lying prophets, false intentions, and disguises part three. Yes, we are still going at it. This is part three, right? And so today we're going to pick back up on this message. And before we get on to today's message, I'm going to refresh you, uh, refresh that memory of yours of what we went over so far. Okay. So when we were at the party and we opened up door number one, door number one was where you had this old man, right? This old prophet and a man of God, right? And the old prophet lied to the man of God in order to destroy his purpose and his life in general, right? Some people will come into your life strictly out of nowhere, and it'll be sent straight from the pit, <laughs> sent straight from Satan himself, but just to do number what to steal, kill, and destroy you. And this is exactly what happened. God had instructed the man of God to do three things, right? Not to do three things, rather. He was not to uh, drink anything in that place. He was not to eat anything. And then the third thing was that he was not to go back the way that he came. Okay. And he had everything all good and dandy until <laughs> he met up with this old prophet who lied and said the angel of the Lord told him differently. And instead of the man of God inquiring with the Lord, he just went on and took him at face value. And so what ended up happening, as soon as he left from the old prophet's house and he's on his way back home on this donkey, he is killed by a lion. And then we opened up door number two and door number two, you have King Jeroboam and his wife, right? So King Jeroboam convinces his wife to disguise herself, you know, take some wine and some food and go over to the prophet who had first uh, given King Jeroboam the prophecies from the Lord that he was going to be over the 10 tribes of Israel. So he sends his wife over to this prophet and he wants her to disguise herself to find out what's going to be, uh, what would be his son's fate because his son is really sick, right? And so the thing that's so funny about it is that he thought by his wife disguising herself there would be no way in the world for this prophet to know who she really was. And he would end up prophesying something different about the son because he wouldn't have known that she was Jeroboam's wife. Okay. God is smarter than that. Okay. But sometimes we act like he's not like, <laughs> like he's done. Don't know everything that's going on. So he had already prepared uh, this prophet. And so what ended up happening, of course, he told us, Hey, I don't know why you pretended like you somebody else. Soon as he heard a foot coming in the door, like, I got some bad news for you. And so soon she hits the threshold of where they live, that child was gone. And it was sad because uh, this child did please the Lord. God told, uh, uh, the, the prophet rather, told Jeroboam's wife, you know, that this child was pleasing to the Lord. He would be buried, but nobody else from his household. That basically the dogs were going to eat. It licked the blood. The fowls are going to eat them. You know, whatever didn't take place in the city was going to take place out in the open field. You see what I'm saying? But between the dogs and the birds, they were going to take care of them. Right. And so then we moved on to door number three. We got a wise woman from Tekoa and Joab uses her to disguise herself as a mourner. Why did he do this? He did it because he wanted this woman to be able to convince David 
to bring his son Absalom back from Geshur. And why did Absalom go to Geshur? He went to Geshur because he had his servants to kill his brother Amnon after everybody got drunk at a sheep shearing party. Okay. And he had this done because his brother had raped his sister Tamar and left her as a desolate woman, so to speak. So he had this done and then he ended up running and, and uh, to Geshur and staying there for three years. And Joab saw that David's heart longed for his son Absalom after grieving for Amnon. However, David didn't make a move. David had a, a avoiding attachment style. We talked about that attachment style before. Okay, that attachment style means either you're isolating yourself from people, right? And or you're giving somebody different than what they want. Okay, that's avoiding attachment style. And that's what David had going on. And so Joab convinces this wise woman to be able to bring uh, to bring Absalom back from Geshur. However, along with that attachment style, right, going right along with it, David said, I don't want to see his face. So it's like, OK, I'm going to bring him back, but I'm not going to give him what he wants, which is to see my face. Right. Plus, he didn't want the people of the town thinking that he just did not uh, care about what had been done right murder had been committed but the main thing was that it was the spirit of avoidance that was riding through him right and so this went on for a couple of years until um until uh, absalom insisted <laughs> he insisted that joab have him to see his dad right the king king david and he ended up burning up joab's field in order to get joab's attention and like hey i want to go see the king okay all right, so now we're on to today's message. Today is part three, right? And so first of all, we're going to dissect lying. We're going to dissect the reasons why we lie. And then we're going to take a look at Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. And they're about with lying, okay? And then we're also going to be talking about how lying and unresolved trauma are connected. And finally, we're going to dive into the six reasons you gave away your blessing to the narcissist, right? And we're going to use the story of Isaac and Rebecca and, and Jacob and Esau and how Jacob disguised himself in order to steal his birthright, his brother's birthright, right? We're going to look at that and use that as a comparison, an analogy rather, for how it is you ended up giving away your blessing. And when I say blessing, I'm talking about your body, right? The vessel uh, of God, okay? So I want you to hold on to your seats because the party is just getting started, baby. So the first question I want to ask you is why do people lie? <laughs> Some of us lie to spare other people's feelings. Others of us lie to avoid getting fired. Some people lie because they don't want to take responsibility for their actions. Then we got people lying to avoid paying child support. Some people lie to avoid paying taxes. We got people lying so that they won't have to go to jail. Uh, we have people lying because they don't want to ruin their image or they want to maintain it, so to speak. We have people lying just for the sake of lying. And nine times out of 10, if, if we got people lying just for the sake of lying, nine times out of 10, it's probably a toxic individual. Narcissistic individuals are known as pathological liars, right? And they have toxic character brokenness due to 
narcissism, which a long story short version of that is a person that operates from a false sense of self, swims in a sea of shame is their uh, basis, right? Their foundation, right? And they, does ev they do everything to maintain that false image by using people as objects as well as using them as what we know as supply, right? That's a term that everybody uses. And supply is just basically like an emotional regulator. Think about a computer supply where you have all the peripherals hooked up to that power supply inside of a desktop, right? So that power supply is uh, regulating the temperature, so to speak, of all of those parts that's inside of the computer, right? And so that's what you are focusing on. <laughs> You're focusing as rather, if you are in a relationship with a narcissistic partner, you are their emotional regulator, right? In their ongoing theater productions, right? Now, some of you might flinch when you hear this, but I got to be honest. Sometimes we like to look at the word of God and just smile and think everything was rosy. God used messy and perfect people. And all of us fit that category, right? We all have some type of brokenness. Abraham was a lying prophet. And why do I say lying? Did he prophesy something false? No, he was a prophet, right? But he also was a liar, okay? And it says in Genesis 20 and 7, now return the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. So that's the first instance we see right there where the Lord referred to Abraham as a prophet, right? He lied about Sarah being his wife twice. The first time is when there was a famine in the land and they were going into Egypt. He lied to Pharaoh, right? And it says there for the first time that there was a famine in the land. So Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then <laughs> they will kill me, but they will let you live. So say you're my sister, that it may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female ser servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Then the second time that Abraham lied, they were in Gerar and he lied to King Abimelech. Okay. Sometimes, well, most times when you lie, you convince yourself of the lie. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you know, you got other people convinced of the same lie that you convinced yourself of. Right. So it's like the next thing, you know, 
Abraham has Abimelech agreeing with him in the lie. And uh, Abimelech is telling Sarah about all these things he's going to bless her brother with, right? So when you got that spirit of lying in you, you do some things that you would not normally do under other circumstances. You, first of all, like I said, you got to be able to convince yourself of it being the truth. Then you got to go and convince somebody else of that lie being the truth. When at first they already knew it was a lie, but by the time you get through with them, you see what I'm saying? You see how strong those spirits are? Then you are believing the lie and speaking to them as if the lie is true, right? And so um, what happened in the case with Abraham and Abimelech in Genesis, let me read. Let's see, it's Genesis 20, right? And I'm going to read part of this starting at the, I'll read starting at the ninth verse, okay? Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? <laughs> Abraham replied, I said to myself, there's surely no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Well, if that's love, <laughs> I don't want that kind of love, right? Being thrown under the bus. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and mail. <laughs> Oh, my word, Lord, have mercy. He brought sheep and cattle with male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. To Sarah, he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before uh, all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham, Abraham's wife, Sarah. So now think about this. Abraham lied and he had to convince himself of this lie. And remember, he already had lied when they went to the famine started and they went to Egypt. That was the first time. So now he's in Gerar and he lies to uh, Abimelech, right? So he convinced himself of that. Now, he saw that it didn't go well the first time. And see, that's what happens a lot of times. We get caught up in sin. We see that it didn't go well, right? We get convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then what ends up happening is that we just decide, you know what? I'm going to try it again in a different place. After you already saw that it could have went like haywire, right? They could have done some of all kind of everything to Sarah. And that's what happens, though. When we've got something that's in our soul that's unresolved from trauma, it sits there. And then just as soon as we know, we just got through praying and, and begging and pleading with God to please help us out of this. We're sorry. We're confessing. We're going to so-called repent, but we go right back and do it again. And this is what happened. Except the second time, Abraham, he convinces uh, himself and then he convinces Abimelech, right? So even though, yes, <laughs> yes, Sarah was in his family, on his father's side. However, she was his wife. He lied. You see what I'm saying? That's just 
point blank. We can't go around it. And so, uh, like I said, we end up either convincing ourselves of the lie, you know, and then we might even put a half truth in there and then think that we're okay. It was just a little white lie. Lies are lies. You see what I'm saying? And sometimes you can end up getting to the point where when it comes to a job, and I've seen this happen before where I've worked companies where uh, people have called in to say that their uh, mother or grandmother was sick and their parents had been sick for a while, but they used that as an excuse not to come into work. And then another employee just so happens to see them somewhere and where it gets out to uh, HR or whoever the, the, the uh supervisor of the department or director of the department is and then they've got a case on their hands and they would just keep on and on with it no no my mother or my grandmother is sick when they have already told the other employees that they use that uh the the, the mother or grandmother have been sick for a while but they just use that to be able to take off you see what i'm saying and so when we get caught up in sin we will uh use anyone else exploit anyone else to be able to get to the end result of what it is, whatever we want to do, which is simply what taking a day off work to relax. Right. And so, uh, in both of those situations, when Abraham lied twice, Sarah could have been used. She could have been abused. She could have been raped, violated in every kind of way. She could have been killed for that matter. Right. And this was because of Abraham's lack of covering her. He was all for himself. And even to get to a point of telling her, uh, just schooling her in before the conversation arose. This is the way that you're going to show love for me. And like I said, if that's the way to show love to be to throw to be thrown under the bus, I don't think I want that kind of love. Right? There are some things that run in our families, and they're known as generational traumas. Right? And these generational traumas, if they're not resolved, they become unresolved traumas in our minds, and our bodies, and our souls. And these unresolved traumas come from love being displayed a certain way, right? And us adopting with a particular attachment style, as we talked about before, we've got four attachment styles. We've got the secure attachment. We've got anxious attachment, sometimes called ambivalent. And then we've got avoiding attachment. And then we've got the fearful avoiding attachment style. And our family's love story regarding uh, garden, rather, were filled with some type of toxic roots, right? And those roots represent the lies that Satan deceived us into believing because of how our parents displayed love, right? And so all throughout the book of Genesis, uh, after Abraham was introduced, both him and his immediate descendants were repeatedly plagued by the same traumas. And you might like, well, what traumas are those? The first trauma was famine. You had Abraham and Sarah facing famine. Then, uh, and that's why they went to Egypt in the first place, right? And then Gerard, where King Abimelech was, right? Then you had Isaac and Rebekah facing famine, right? They went to Geshur as well. And when they were in Geshur, I guess the Lord was thinking of uh, their parents, uh, Isaac's parents, rather, their adventure. And he told Isaac, don't go down to, to uh, Egypt. Because remember, Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt. Then they went over to Gerar where King Abimelech was. And so with Isaac and Rebekah, they went to Gerar where King Abimelech was. And then the next stop would have been, if you're going backwards, that would have been to Egypt. But God told them not to go down there. Okay. And so then Jacob and his sons eventually faced famine 
which is how they were all able to reunite with Joseph uh, later on in Egypt, right? So that was the first trauma. Then the second trauma, you've got barrenness there. You've got barrenness, Abraham and uh, Sarah struggle with barrenness. Then you got Isaac and Rebecca struggling with barrenness. And then you got Jacob and Rachel struggling with barrenness. Okay, so that was the second trauma. A lot of trauma going on in this family. Then you've got the third trauma. You've got uh, a spirit of deception going on where everybody's walking around with false intentions, you know, having one appearing one way, but disguising as another for what they, the real motive is. You see what I'm saying? I'm telling you about how uh, beautiful you look today, but I'm just saying it because I'm trying to get on your good side so I can get a raise or end up being uh, promoted or maybe eventually take your job. You see what I'm saying? So they, th that was the third trauma is that the spirit of deception was heavy in that family. And then the fourth trauma is that there was a lying spirit. Abraham lied twice. And you got Sarah who lied to uh, the angel when they came and told him that she was going to have a child. And she laughed. And then she, she laughed and then got scared and loud about the fact that she laughed. But when it comes to God, we, we can't keep anything from him. He knows us, right? Everything about us, right? He's omnipresent. He's omniscient omnipotent, all of the above. He's sovereign, right? And so you got Sarah lying in that case. Then you know what? You get Isaac and Rebecca, okay? When they dealt with famine and they went to uh, Gerar, where King Abimelech was, how about Isaac also threw Rebecca under the bus and said that she was his sister? He played the same game that Abraham played. You see what I'm saying? You got two generations. You got father and son. Isaac wasn't even born when Abraham and Sarah were first in Gerar. However, once again, that unresolved trauma on Abraham and Sarah's part involving a spirit of lying and the spirit of deception, right? They were not cut at the roots, right? And therefore, you end up with this paradigm slash mindset, right? That gets passed down from generation to generation, right? Isaac's in the same place his father was in. And that unresolved trauma got triggered. And then he lied and said Rebecca was what? His wife. I mean, his sister, rather. So Becca, uh, Rebecca ends up being in a state of uh, fearing for her life, right? She could have been abused. She could have been used. She could have been raped and possibly killed, just like Sarah. You see how generational stuff plays out, right? Because first we have what? We always talk about the thoughts. Those thoughts turn into emotions, which is just number energy and motion. And then we have that turn into our action slash behavior. And then we have that action slash behavior making an impact, right? Okay. And then obviously Abraham's family's love story garden <laughs> contained these what toxic roots, right? These lies, right? And this was what they, this is what I said was obviously going on as far as the lies in his family's love story garden. Number one, love is lying. Number two, love is deception. Number three, love is both protecting yourself and playing games by throwing the women who you are in relationship with under the bus. Okay, three lies. Love is lying. Love is deception. And love is both protecting yourself and playing games by throwing the women who you are in relationship with under the bus. Those three toxic lies. Those three lies, right? 
where the toxic roots and Abraham's family's love story garden. And think about it because Sarah was actually on her father's side coming from that seed. She had it as well. Okay. And so uh, the thing about it is that along with lying, we have the fifth trauma and that's abuse. Sarah was abusive when it came to Hagar, right? Their slave. And she told Abraham it was okay instead of them waiting on God's promise. She told Abraham it was okay for him to go ahead and have Hagar to become his wife, right? And then after Hagar became pregnant, uh, Hagar was contempt, you know, Sarah became contemptible in Hagar's eyes. But then uh, Hagar also became contemptible in Sarah's eyes as Sarah started to treat her very abusively, which led to Hagar running away, right? So we've got, uh, like I said, that abuse there, that's the fifth trauma, emotional abuse, okay? And so we cannot ignore uh, this unresolved trauma that has gone on from generation to generation. And then when we look at these lies, okay, we know that the following limiting beliefs were developed because you can't develop a limiting belief without having a lie there to begin with, if that makes sense. Okay. And so here's limiting belief. Number one from Abraham's, uh, family's love story garden, God's word and his truth is not enough. Limiting belief. Number two, my word and my truth is not enough. Okay. So that was when I say my word and my truth, I'm talking about Abraham, right? Then number three, I'm not enough. So those were the three limiting beliefs that were hovering over his family's love story garden, okay? And then the next thing is, these were some more. <laughs> this gets deep, right? God's protection and covering is not enough. And then the next one is, my protection and covering is not enough. And then the next one is, I'm not enough. You see how that started? With those two limiting beliefs, it started off with, God's word and his truth is not enough. And it trickled down to I'm not enough. The second uh, limiting belief was God's protection and covering is not enough. And it went and trickled down to I'm not enough. So that's what was going on in Abraham's family's love story garden, which is why, because he believed those lies and those lies turned into limiting beliefs. That's why he treated Sarah the way that he did. That's why Isaac treated Rebecca the way that he did that unresolved trauma that his, his uh, from his dad triggered got triggered when he got into that same place in Gerard and so sometimes we have unresolved trauma and we don't even know it but we get into a place a certain place and then we will reenact whatever behavior our parents grandparents great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents and all the way back, even from slavery, whatever they didn't get resolved, we end up reenacting it when we get to that same place, okay? And so uh, we're going to dive in a little deeper, right? God had told Abraham to take his wife and belongings and to leave his homeland and his relatives, right? So he could take him to the place he had stored for him, right? And then remember, Abraham decided to bring his nephew Lot along with him. And just as a reminder, whenever we're bringing somebody else with us, it's not supposed to go to the next level. We're going to end up with obstacles, right? And so what happens is that, say, for instance, as an example, you get your hair permed, okay? 
And you know, when you get your hair perm, you got all of this new growth going on at the roots, right? And so after they apply the perm to all of that new growth, then what happens, they say, come on and go over here to the shampoo bowl and they want to rinse your hair out, right? So after they do that, they put the neutralizing shampoo on your hair. Then they put the regular shampoo on your hair. And then they put the conditioner on your hair. And then by that, I mean, your hair is like feeling so light at that point, right? Because of all of that new growth, okay? And then once you've gotten uh, the conditioner rinsed out and whatnot, They'll put a bag on your head and you can sit there until they're ready for someone to blow dry and uh, to blow your hair out. And if you decide to get it flat ironed or curled or whatever to do that afterwards. Right. And so what happens is as you're getting your hair blow dry, hair is just steadily coming out. And sometimes if you don't think about it, you, you know, if you think about it too hard, rather, you kind of freak out like, oh, my goodness, I got hair falling out like crazy. That's the shedding process. All of that dead hair has to go because the new growth has come in, right? And so when we're dealing with the phase in our life where we've got that new growth coming in, we have got to be able to, like that hair shedding, in order for them to be able to finish blow drying it and to curl it and flat iron it and get to the next phase, you, we have to be able to shed people in that same uh, situation, right? And so when we don't, we end up being headed for trouble, okay? Uh, what ended up happening is that Abraham realized this land can't hold both me and Lot and they were starting to have quarrels with each other. So he ended up having to separate from Lot and he allowed Lot to pick which land he wanted. And he said, whatever way you go to the left, I go to the right, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, uh, you go to the east, I go to the west. So like basically wherever you go on, I'm doing the opposite of that, right? He gave him the first uh, choice, first pick, and he was the older one, right? And so Lot ended up picking the land that was close to Sodom, right? That was the better part, actually, of the area. So somehow he went from uh, picking the land that was right close to Sodom, some kind of way, somewhere along the way, Lot ended up in Sodom. And sometimes it's just like when we're trying to get some out of our system, we will think it's okay to just kind of like skirt around and think we're going to be okay. You see what I'm saying? Like we tell little kids, don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Don't touch the stove, it's hot. Then they touch it, they scream it, they holler, and they're bringing their hands to us, and we feel sorry. They crying, we're crying as the parent the whole nine yards, right? But it's like they kept getting close enough to it, close enough to it, close enough to it, touching the knobs, and finally they're in the fire. And that's exactly what ended up happening with Lot. He just kept playing around with them, get close enough to it, close enough to it. And somehow, somewhere along the way, he ended up, in Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And so what happens is the Lord decides, like, it's just been too much drama over there. I'm just going to burn it all down, so to speak. And like I said, I'm paraphrasing. And he let Abraham in on it. He didn't even have to tell Abraham, but he let Abraham know. And so Abraham pleaded with God, saying, like, you know, would you, if it's so many people, righteous people, I think he started at 50, would you spare the line? And God said, okay. And then they just kept going down and finally Abraham, well, if it's 10 people left, would you spare? And God said, okay. And that was pretty much the end of the conversation, right? And so the angels went over to Sodom and Gomorrah, okay? And they want to warn Lot and his family and to get them out of there before they were destroyed, okay? And it was no time between uh, before the two angels were being entertained by Lot and his relatives, and they were trying to be hospitable to them. But then, you know, you get the knocking on the door. You got a lot of people from the city who are knocking on this door 
trying to get the two angels to come out, right? And what did they want to do? They wanted to have sex with the angels, okay? And what was Lot's response? It's unbelievable, I tell you. Genesis 19, 6 to 11. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, stand back. And they said, this fellow come to subjourn and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they were saying, like, like, who are you to judge? So that lets you know the kind of mess Lot had got himself caught up in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, right? It said, then they pressed hard against the man Lot, and he drew near to break the door down. But the men, and he's talking about the angels, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they, was, they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house both small and great, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. So the angels had to actually inflict blindness upon them so that they couldn't even find the door. They had to literally pull Lot in, okay? Now think about this. Lot had told these men that they could have his daughter since they were virgins and had not been with any men. Even though these same daughters were engaged, right, to men living in the city already. And then even apart from that, you are talking about throwing your daughters under the bus once again, setting them up for abuse, misuse, right? No covering or protection, right? And possibly rape. Luckily, the angels pulled Lot back in and got everyone out of the city, okay? Now, I want to just show you the similarity in this. There's another story in the Bible where you have a Levite who was a priest, right? And he had a concubine who was faithful, who was unfaithful to him rather. And he went out searching for her and went to her father's house and found her, right? And they, the father convinced them to stay longer than he had planned. And he did. And finally, it's like, okay, no, we need to go. So the father asked them to go on and just leave at night, okay? Which was a bad idea. Traveling at night, it's not always a good idea. You get tired, sleepy, all of that. So, of course, they got tired and they get to uh, so far and the servant wants to rest there. But the Levite, right, he says, no, these people, you know, they're not like our kind, so to speak. And we don't know what's going on here. Let's go further before we stop. OK, so then they end up getting over to this other land, which you would have thought because it was their people, they would have been OK. And they decided since nobody asked them to bring to come in. Uh, into their homes that they would stay out in the square. And this is the same thing that had happened when those two angels went to uh, warn Lot. It, initially, they were going to stay out into the square until they were warned, okay? So going back to the Levite and the priest, uh, what happens is they were going to stay out into the square until an old man saw them and like, no, this is not a good idea. So that lets you know what kind of place that was, right? So this is an exact replica of what happened when the lot, when the angels went over to to warn Lot and his family, you got that. Like I said, the Levite, the priest, with his concubine, and uh, an old man tell him, "Don't sleep out in the square." And his servant and and all of their like donkeys and whatever they got. 
So they go into the man's house. And just like with Sodom and Gomorrah, no sooner they get inside his house, you got people from uh, all over in that area pounding on the door, wanting the guest, which was the Levite, to come out so that he could uh, have sex with them. And so uh, what happens is the old man says, you know what, I got my daughter and I have my uh, this concubine here. So he volunteers the Levite's concubine and his daughter. Once again, like I said, this is throwing women under the bus, right? And so what ends up happening is he throws the concubine out there. She comes back the next morning. Obviously, the Levite didn't think anything of it if he allowed it to happen. You see what I'm saying? So she comes back the next morning, pounds on the door, collapses at the door, and literally ends up dying, right? They had abused her, uh, raped her, all kind of stuff. This had gone on all night. And so what happened is that uh, the man, instead of him like showing some type of compassion, the Levite just puts her on the donkey and uh, hands over uh, to different parts of Israel, right? Because you know how you have the 12 tribes of Israel because of Jacob's sons. So he sends to all those different 12 areas a piece of her body to let them know, like, look, this is what happened. This is ridiculous. And yes, it was ridiculous, but you were also part of the problem. You allowed this to happen. But that happened from those women being uncovered. So what Lot did is an exact, uh, what this Levi did to, with his concubine was an exact replica of what Lot allowed to happen. Well, he was going to allow it with his daughters until the angels had pulled him back in. But I just want to show you how when people have that mentality where they don't think that there's a good covering for women, then you are just open. And some, some of us have had family love story gardens where if the father was not present or he was there and just not emotionally present, then you have the daughters who were left uncovered. You see what I'm saying? And so then that means that the door was open for uh, abuse, misuse, mistreatment, violation, etc. right? Okay, so think about this. Think about what Abraham did with the lying, how he left Sarah uncovered. Think about how what Isaac did with his lying, how he left Rebecca uncovered. Now I want you to think about what Lot did, how he volunteered his daughters to leave them uncovered until the angels pulled him back in. And it was the same thing that was repeated by this Levite priest and his concubine, right? So now what I want you to do is go back to Abraham's family. And I want you to look at Rebecca's brother, Laban. Okay. Look at Rebecca's brother, Laban. He tricked Jacob into marrying Leah. Jacob had worked seven years to have Rachel as his wife, but he was tricked into marrying Leah instead of Rachel. And this showed that he offered Leah no protection, like we were just talking about, no protection for her. She was just used as a bad business deal prop, right? Exploitation is what you would call it. This was just another pawn. She was a pawn on Laban's chessboard. And Laban had previously tried the same behavior with Abraham's servant when he went to, to Badanaram to get a wife for Isaac, right? 
And I just want to read some of it so you can get an idea of what's going on. In Genesis 24, 28 to 32, it says, the girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now, Rebecca had a brother named Laban. And remember, whenever you see in scripture where they start that with that now, you know it's about to be some drama. They setting you up. They setting up the scene, okay, in Hebrew literature. And Laban ran out to meet to, I'm sorry, and Laban ran out to the man at the spring. As soon as he'd seen the ring and the braces on his sister's wrist, and when he had heard his sister Rebecca's words, the man said this to me. He went to the man. He was standing there by the camels at the spring. So it seems like Laban basically was, when you think about it, he was an opportunist, right? He saw the, the like, okay, this man got some money. And she told him what he said. So, you know, like, hey, let me go check this man out. So in verse 31, it says, Laban said, come, you who are blessed by the Lord. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and feed were given to the camels and water was brought to wash his feet and the feet of the men with him. Okay, then we go further down and we're reading verses 50 through 60 of this same chapter. This is where we see where Laban's really real heart set in. It says, Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We have no choice in the matter. Rebecca is here in front of you. Take her and go and let her be a wife for your master's son, just as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed to the ground before the Lord. Then he brought out objects of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious gifts to her brother and her mother. Then he ate. Then he and the men with him ate and drank and spent the night. When they got up in the morning, he said, send me to my master. So I guess he said, okay, all this is good and dandy. Now it's time for us to go. You already give me. You're okay. We need to get out of here. Okay. And this is me paraphrasing. But her brother and mother said, let the girl stay with us for about 10 days. Then she can go. But he responded to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has made the journey a success, send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, Let, let's call the girl. Let's call the girl and ask her opinion. They called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? Now, they already had said that it was okay that she could go, right? You see what I'm saying? Then they tried to get him to stay. Okay. She replied, I will go. So they sent away their sister, Rebecca, with the one who had nursed and raised her and Abraham's servants and his men. They blessed Rebecca, saying to her, our sister, may you become thousands upon ten thousands. May your offspring possess the city gates of their enemies. And isn't this something how they ended up? giving her the same blessing that the Lord had given Abraham during one of those many times he kept reaffirming Abraham and reassuring him like basically and like I said this is me paraphrasing like basically I got your back so they blessed her with that same blessing that show you that God was in it right so what what did Laban do he did three things well he did first first he did two things rather he made the agreement okay and then morning time came and you discovered what the real plan was all along. He did the same thing two times. He did it first with uh, Abraham's servant <laughs> when he went to get a wife for Isaac. 
And then he did that again when it came time for Jacob, when he, after he worked for Rachel and thinking he's got Rachel and that Rachel was the one that he was with overnight. And he woke up in the morning and found out what Laban's intentions really were. And this servant found out what Laban's intentions were, were when he went to get Rebecca as a wife, because he already had agreed and said, okay, since you said this is the Lord, I'm in agreement with you. This is from the Lord. But then he says, well, then the him and the mother start saying, well, stay 10 days. So that's how you know if either you agree with me or you don't. Sometimes people will play around. They play games. That's how you know if somebody has already made an agreement with you and then uh, they see you're real and you get ready to leave. And all of a sudden they start adding something on to it. That's how you know you got a, a very shysty person on your hands. Right. You know that they're not good to do business with. Right. So you almost had the same exact thing going on. Had. Abraham's servant not been assertive and like no I need to head back to my master because what would have happened is Laban would have ended up playing that same game that he ended up later playing with Jacob right see what I'm saying and so what and the mother and the brother were the ones to stay for 10 days that's just messiness and deceitfulness right and uh so then what happens is that this is one of the main reasons why Abraham was told by God to leave his family, right? To leave the homeland and his family to begin with, right? He had bigger territory for him. He had the next level for him. But there, you know, you had their mindset and limited worldview. He wanted Abraham to come out, come ye out from among them, as it says in 2 Corinthians, so he could work with Abraham in resolving some of this trauma, right? And what happens is you ended up with, uh, in Abraham's family, rather, you ended up with this trauma of having all of this lying going on, all of this deceit, and then you end up with all of these shady contract deals throughout their family. You know what I'm saying? And like I said, that's why the Lord wanted him to come out, but Abraham brought Lot with him, you know? And along with the lying, deceiving, the shady contract deals, you got immorality going on with Lot, obviously, right? And so, the only thing that they would have done if he had moved the whole family unit, they would just moved all that mess with them. You see what I'm saying? Because it was unresolved. They had not dealt with it. Undealt with trauma becomes brokenness, right? And uh, it becomes part of your family's love story garden. So all you're doing is just taking your issues and moving it somewhere else. Like if you say, okay, I think I'm, it's going to be a, a, a new thing for me. I think I, my family and I need to change. So I'm going to move from uh, New York to California and you guys could move and it could literally be what you need. But guess what? All the problems you had in New York, they only going to resurface in California because even though you're not right in the environment it happened in, you still need to heal from whatever trauma that went down in New York and whatever uh, the generational brokenness and trauma is. If you It's, it's still going to be left as unresolved trauma and get passed down unless you decide to deal with it once you get to California. You see what I'm saying? And so I guess Abraham, he was, wasn't really thinking too, because even though uh, like we see God was in the whole situation and at the same time when he said to come out from among them and he still went back picking women from them, right? Uh, in order for uh, his son to marry, you still got some of that mess. Rebecca, as beautiful as she was, she had unresolved trauma of deceitfulness, right? And that ended up uh, not looking so good in their favor and in their family, right? And so uh, the thing about it is that, like I said, Rebecca, with her extreme beauty, 
but then messiness and deceptiveness along the way, it ended up, she ended up playing a huge role in having her son, Jacob, to trick her husband, Isaac, <laughs> to stealing the blessing from his father, right? And so, like I said, I don't care how many moves that we make, unresolved trauma is still unresolved trauma. We move and we move the trauma and drama right along with us until we decide I'm sick of it and I am about to heal, right? And so then when you want to know what's trauma number six, the sixth trauma, right? Spirit of favoritism with the parents, right? Among their children and spouses. Abraham and Sarah giving favoritism to Isaac over Ishmael. Isaac and Rebecca each having their own favorite son, right? Rebecca being in love with Jacob, so to speak, because he was a homebody, probably like she was. And then you got Isaac being in love with uh, Esau because he was an outdoorsman, probably like he was, right? And so uh, then you got Laban, Rebecca's brother, right? His favorite daughter was probably Rachel. And that's probably why he used Leah to trick Jacob into marrying her, right? And so uh, then you got Leah who joined in cahoots with him. She's an adult. She joined in cahoots with uh, deceiving Jacob into thinking that he was marrying her sister, Rachel. So you got all of this lying and deception and shady deals and uh, abusiveness and being women being uncovered and unprotected. It's, it's just a lot of mess. It's a lot of mess. So you really see why God told Abraham to leave his homeland and his relatives, right? And then finally, you got Jacob favoring Joseph over the rest of his sons because of him being born from his beloved Rachel, setting up a seed of rejection in Joseph's brothers, right? He had that coat of many colors. None of the rest of them had a coat of many colors. And remember, the seed of rejection uh, leads to love and approval addiction. And whenever there's a seed of rejection present, you're dealing with uh, lack that's in your soul. You're looking at everything. You're doing everything and seeing everything from this limited worldview with a place of lack, right? And that's that scarcity mindset. And that lack shows up in love. It shows up in approval and it shows up in comfort addictions, right? L-A-C. <laughs> comfort addictions provide a false sense of safety and security, right? And so now we want to get to the six reasons you gave away your blessing to the narcissist. Number one, you were hungry and caught up in how you were feeling. And remember, when I say blessing, I'm talking about your body. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to read the story of Jacob stealing Esau's birthright. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he was also named Edom. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Think about this. Esau despised what was rightfully his. The moment you got hooked up with your narcissistic partner over a meal is when you despised your birthright. Okay? 
I'm going to read it again from verse 34. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Okay? So what happened to you? You ate, you drank, probably had a little bit too much to eat, too much to drink, right? You got up, and you went to his house. That's how you gave your blessing away. And just like in the story of Esau selling his birthright, you were hungry. Hunger can show up in a whole lot of different ways, right? We can be hungry emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically, socially, financially, sexually, etc. And think about this. What do the experts tell you to be careful of when you're hungry? Going to the grocery store. Why? A $250 bill would turn into a $750 bill. Okay, you shop due to your emotional and physical state and logical reasoning goes out the door. And we have this figure of speech that we like to say, I'm hangry. And so hangry means what? You hungry, angry, and tired. Okay, all that combo going on together. Hunger causes you to think without even reasoning. It can easily lead to you becoming physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually distressed. Think about infants, toddlers, and even older children sometimes. They throw tantrums from being hungry. Even when it comes to adults, when we have gotten to the point where we're past the point of where we should have gotten something to eat, we're not very pleasant to be around at all. We have to self-regulate our emotional state when we are hungry and angry, right? And hunger causes us to say and do things that we normally wouldn't do in non-hungry circumstances, right? So take Esau, for example. He said, I'm about to die, so we're good. So it's like, I'm about to die. So what, what good is a birthright to me? Think about how foolish that sounds. Your birthright, you give up your birthright for some stew. Okay? Why do we despise our birthright as women? Lack of knowledge, right? Lust and instant gratification. First John 2 and 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world, right? And so, like I said, think about how foolish that sounds. We make a lot of decisions in that state. You do anything to fill that void of hunger, right? Hunger in your stole, you'll steal from your mama if necessary. You know what I'm saying? Think about a person that's on drug and alcohol addictions. They'll steal from their mama, steal from their daddy, steal from their grandmama. It don't matter, okay? They'll sell their house away in a state of hunger. And even when it's eat, when you're eating, eating is a physiological process. Certain emotions get stirred up, right? And when we eat, it becomes the whole experience is physiological, right? And so Satan knows your vulnerabilities and weaknesses. He steps the stage and he sits back and watches you self-sabotage. You ignore what your narcissistic partner was asking for in exchange for the food. And when you approach, it's not going to be like you're on the upswing because you're hungry, right? You've been single for a little while, right? You're just now feeling stable, right? And then you've paid up all your bills for the month. You got a little bit of money left over. You can't be eating out. And so this gorgeous man is asking you out to dinner. What do you say? And his choice is a restaurant where they serve $100 dinners, right? $100 meals and you got like $50 dessert. So what do you say? Okay. Especially since you broke right now, all your bills are paid up. They all paid up, but you don't have any money to be eating out of a restaurant. And you've been wanting to try that restaurant for a long time, right? And so when you are hungry in your soul and thirsty, so to speak, as they say, people can size you up. They know when you are thirsty. 
Okay. And so what we're going to do is stop here. And when we pick this message back up, we are going to go through numbers three, not three, but two through six on the, uh, this subtitle of the lesson, which is the six reasons you gave away your blessing slash body to the narcissist. Until next time. Hi, I'm Katina Horton, the Love and Freedom Toxic Relationship Recovery Coach. And today's topic is the masquerade party of lying prophets, false intentions, and disguises part 3B. And yesterday I went over part 3A. And so today I'm not going to go into a long introduction. We're just going to pick right up. Yesterday we actually did number one to the six reasons, because this is a subtitle, okay? That's what I forgot to give you. The six reasons you gave away your blessing to the narcissist. And when I talk about your blessing, I'm talking about your body. Number one, you were hungry and caught up in how you were feeling, okay? And then when we read the story of Jacob stealing Esau's birthright, we're going to read here. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter and outdoors man. But Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. So we can see there's a problem right there, right? Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he was also named Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. <laughs> that don't sound like a good trade to me. Okay. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. Think about this. Esau despised what was rightfully his. And the moment that you got hooked up with your narcissistic partner over a meal is when you despised your birthright. Okay, and I want to read verse 34 again, just uh, from chapter 25, just so it can sink into what's going on here. It says, then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. What happened to you? You ate, you drank, you got up and you went to his house. That's how you gave your blessing away. Just like in this story of Esau selling his birthright, you were hungry. And when we're hungry, it can show up in a lot of different ways. Hunger shows up in a lot of different ways, right? And we can be uh, emotionally hungry. We can be mentally hungry, spiritually hungry, physically hungry, socially hungry financially hungry, sexually hungry, right? We can have mother hunger, father hunger, sister hunger, brother hunger, right? Approval hunger, hungry, right? Hunger rather, <laughs> comfort hunger, 
Okay. And then what happens is when though that hunger and those cravings go unchecked for our mind and body and soul, it leads to us operating our lives from a place of lack, love, approval, and comfort addiction. Okay. So think about this. What do the experts tell us to be careful of when we hungry? Going to the grocery store, right? And why is that? A $250 bill can easily turn into a $750 bill, okay? You shop due to your emotional, mental, spiritual, and uh, physical state, right? And so all logical reasoning is just go straight out the door. <laughs> we have this uh, one figure of speech we like to use called hangry. And hangry is when you're a combination of hungry, angry, and you're tired. Not even tired, but tired, okay? This means you got a combination of all of that going on, right? And so that means that you're going to think without reason, okay? There's not going to be any reason involved. You're just going to start doing things, making decisions off the top of your head. It's going to be poor uh, decision-making slash judgment calls, right? And so think about it. When you have even distressed infants, toddlers, and small children who are hungry, think about how they'll fall out and throw a tantrum. And to be honest with you, for some of us adults, our tolerance levels are pretty low. And so we become a whole different person when we're hungry and have not eaten for a while or whatever. And that's hungry in any area, not just physically, as we just talked about, right? Hunger makes you say and do things that you wouldn't normally do in non-hungry circumstances, right? And so take Esau, for example. He said, I'm about to die so What's good is a what good is a birthright to me? Now, how foolish is that when you really think about it? When you're hungry, it makes sense to say something like that, right? But when we let our emotions drive the bus and and then add on top of it that we're hungry, we'll say and do some of the craziest things. And later we'll look back and like, wow, this was immature, this was illogical, this was just off the chain, <laughs> this decision that I made, right? And whatever it was that I said, right? And so why do we despise our birthright? We despise our birthright simply because there's lack of knowledge, lust, and instant gratification. I'm going to say that again. It's lack of knowledge, lust, and instant gratification. That's why we despise our birthright. First John 2.16 says, for all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father, but it's from the world. Okay. So it's like, we didn't get that from God. Okay. And I want you, like I said, to really think of how foolish that sounds with, with what uh, it was that Esau said. Right. So when you hungry and you got those addictions that, cause you're operating from lack, like I said, lack, according to my uh, coaching methodology, freedomology, is a love, approval, and comfort addiction. So when you're operating from that, have that hunger in your soul, if it's a drug addiction, you're still from your mama, your daddy, your grandmama, it don't even matter. When you've got that uh, addiction spirit in your soul, you would do all kinds of things that you normally wouldn't do if you were not under the influence, so to speak, right? You sell your house in a state of hunger. I mean, he sold his birthright, right? And even with eating, eating is a uh, physiological experience. And so you get all kind of emotions stirred up then, right? Satan knows your vulnerabilities and weaknesses, point blank, right? And he sets the stage. And he then he sits back and he watches you 
self-sabotage. And he's like, yeah, look at her. Look at what I made her do. <laughs> look at what I made him do, right? You ignored what that narcissistic person was asking for in exchange for food. And so when you were approached by him, you were not on the upswing, right? You probably had just paid, you were a single woman, had just paid off um, all of your bills and expenses for the month, had paid your rent and all the other expenses, et cetera, for the month. And then he offered to take you to uh, this place that you have been longing. I mean, you've been dying to go to for a while, but you couldn't afford it. Uh, the meal's $100, the desserts are like 50 and so then him mentioning that to you, you just, you went to another level and be like, well, this guy must care about me, right? In a state of hunger, you make those decisions that you would have not necessarily made when you're in a non-hungry state, right? And so then what happens is when you're walking around hungry, and some people even call it thirsty, right? They say, she thirsty, he thirsty. People can size you up. They know when you are thirsty, right? So number two, the second reason you gave your blessing, which is your body away to the narcissist, you ignored the promptings of the Holy Spirit, plain and simple. Okay. And in Genesis 27, 18 to 30, uh, 24, it says, when he came to his father, he said, my father, and he answered him, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob replied to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how did you ever find it so quickly, my son? He replied, because the Lord, your God, made it happen for me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come closer so I can touch you, my son. Are you really my son Esau or not? So Jacob came closer to his father, Isaac. <laughs> when he touched him, he said, the voice is the voice of Jacob. But the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy, hairy rather, <laughs> like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. Again, he asked, are you really my son Esau? And he replied, I am. Isaac knew something wasn't right. And he knew something wasn't right from the moment that Jacob walked in that door saying, my father, okay, with the food knowing that it was going to take him a while to hunt and cook that food and prepare it. There was no way in the world that it could have been done that fast and have been ready, right? He even questioned him as to how it was found so quickly. There were so many red flags going off, right? From your gut instinct, your spirit of discernment, your intuition, all of the above. If you taking a test and they say, is it A, B, C, all of the above is D or is it E? None of the above, right? You checked off D, all of the above. You knew all of that, right? And then you, anytime you, you think about it, you got to keep questioning yourself. Anytime you got to keep questioning yourself about this man, you knew it was wrong. You see what I'm saying? You knew you were headed for a disaster, okay? And so then that, that's when you got a need for pause, Isaac then paused. It was a need for pause and reflection. If you got to ask somebody that many times to see what their motive is, something is wrong. Something is wrong, right? It's time for pause. It's time for reflection. And it's a reminder that something in your spirit about this person is not okay. But what happens when you get caught up, when you're hungry, you just go to it. You end up at his house, right? So number three, he said all the right things that a Christian would say. Yeah, you know, I could sense in my spirit that the Lord was leading me to you. Then he recites a few verses about a man 
uh, who finds a wife finds a good thing. Then he uses godly language. And, you know, when you guys are interacting, then he's blowing up your social media uh, DMs and text messaging you on the phone with prophetic revelations. And you letting all of this go into your head. Right. And, and you got the, the, the bells going off, the red flags all over the place. But you caught up. Right. You have never met a man like him. Right. And it's just like even with uh, uh, Rebecca, you know what I'm saying? The same, you know, when you get caught up like that and Rebecca got caught up in this game of doing stuff to uh, make sure her favorite son was going to get the blessing. Right. And so when you get caught up like she did, you make choices that you normally would not have made. Right. Made. Right. And then he might say something to, to you like, you know, you know, you, you just, you my Rebecca, you are my Rebecca. You were definitely brought uh, from the Lord to me. He gave you to me. You my Rebecca. I've been praying for somebody like you my entire life. You're my soulmate, baby. I know that you, you've been sent from above and all you got to do is hear the right words, have the right hunger inside of your soul. And you didn't take the bait. I tell you, you have taken the bait, right? Any old mess, he would say, and you still getting the boom, 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 boom all over the place. And the Lord is like putting a stop sign in front of your chest, literally trying to stop you. But there's no stopping when you are hungry. OK. And so what happens is it says Isaac said to his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? And he replied, because the Lord, your God made it happen for me. Think about that. <laughs> when you put God when he he puts God in some mess I'm telling you and and next thing you know it awakens things inside of you and your thoughts go away from being a godly woman from that Proverbs 31 woman to something else and you gone you see what I'm saying all he has to do is say the right words and use godly language look at how um, what's his name Absalom used godly language and told David that he had promised him when he was, uh, he promised God when he was over in Geisha for those three years, if he was ever brought back to Jerusalem, he was going to offer, uh, he vowed to offer a sacrifice for him. So all he had to do was have just the right words. And David's like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, you go ahead and go on over there. And that was number to cover for him uh, getting ready to lead a revolt against the king who was his father. You see what I'm saying? So all we have to do is have the right words. Look at the uh, old prophet. He had the right words for the uh, man of God who got pulled in probably because the prophet was old, right? So he got pulled in by his seniority. He got pulled in through toxic empathy because of the fact that uh, the old prophet is like, I'm a prophet just like you are. So you know how it is when somebody got some common with us. This guy has some common with you. You see what I'm saying? Tells you that his calling is basically the same thing as yours or one of the many roles that you play in your calling. And so for sure, it's a match made in heaven. That hunger is driving the game. You see what I'm saying? That when you operate from a place of lack, love, approval, and comfort addiction, you're for sure going to get caught up in that trap, right? So number four, the fourth reason you gave away your blessing in parentheses, body to the narcissist is you touched him. His performative empathy of him saying and doing the right things, right? All of those thus said the Lord and the Lord said this and God placed this on my heart and we were soulmates and 
I never found a woman like you that was so godly and, you know, going to church and religious woman and whatever it was he said, uh, that all got to your head. He said the right thing and it made you long for the next level of it, right? For physical touch, okay? Seeing his arms was one thing, but then touching them became another. And what happened? After uh, Isaac touched Jacob's arms and felt the goat hair, <laughs> and his good old mama Rebecca had put the goat hair on him, right? After he touched his hands and arms, and then he had the goat smell and then hair around his neck, it was just like, okay, all those red flags just went out the door, okay? And so uh, then that brings us to number five. You kissed him and smelled his cologne, and then you gave away your blessing, okay? And I don't need to go any further than that. You understand what I'm talking about. After giving away the blessing, he leaves, he treats you cold, and he's out the door, leaving you crying uncontrollably, but it's too late. You're soul tied, you're trauma bonded, and you've given away your temple of God, okay? Isaac gave away the blessing. Then he began to tremble uncontrollably once he found out he had blessed the wrong man. Once Esau came in and just like, wait a minute, what's going on? It was too late. Esau still wanted an opportunity for the blessing, right? Isaac's blessing to him was not what I would really want to call a blessing, to be honest. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? He gave, he given the main thing away. So it's not really what it was. It was, it was more of a punishment to me, the way it sounded, almost like a curse. Genesis 27, 36 to 40 says, so he said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me twice now. He took my birthright and look, now he's taking my blessing. Then he asked, haven't you saved a blessing for me? And by the way, he said he took his birthright. No, <laughs> no, sweetheart, you gave your birthright away. You willingly did it. So then uh, verses uh, 37 through 40, but Isaac answered Esau, look, I made him a master over you, have given him all of his relatives as his servants and have sustained him with grain and new wine. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, do you have only one blessing, my father? <laughs> Bless me too, my father. And Esau wept loudly. That had to really be a sight for sore eyes, literally. His father, Isaac, answered him, look, your dwelling place will be away from the richness of the land away from the dew of the sky above. That don't sound pleasant at all, does it? You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you rebel, you will break his yoke from your neck. And like Esau was instructed, right? You are a slave to your narcissistic partner, okay? And all of his relatives are also slaves to him. If you ever are around the dynamics of a person who is a narcissist, right? Their romantic partner is their slave. And then they have family members as their slaves because what they do is use each of those individuals as objects and for whatever what they want to use them for, right? And so you gave away your blessing. And the only way for you to break his yoke, this narcissistic man's yoke from your neck, is for you to leave this idolatrous soul-tied relationship. You are enough. Own your family's love story garden. Reveal, feel, and heal. And then you're going to reclaim your power, soul, and identity so you will know you are enough. Grab your keys to the kingdom 
and get your inheritance. Until next time, God bless.
Me. 